I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and physician, Dr. Michael Scare-Inger, MD. Uh, his new book is The Trouble with Trauma. Toxic stress is the theory that severe psychological stress can permanently change the brain's physical structure and wiring. Yet, research does not show that psychological stress can permanently alter neurobiology. Dr. Michael Skeringa highlights the gaping holes in the concept of complex PTSD as opposed to regular PSD and discusses the dangers of adhering to an unproven theory. Dr. Skeringa draws on his experience as both a practicing clinician and the principal investigator on five large federally funded research projects on the topic of PTSD in children and adolescents to support a shocking claim that the widely accepted idea of toxic stress is based on ideology rather than scientific evidence. Dr. Skeringa, a tenured professor at Tulane University School of Medicine, has been a a, uh, consultant to several national efforts, including the National Academy of Sciences and the DSM-3. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you so much. Well, I guess the first question is, what are the implications for this... uh, this, your research, as opposed to which is very different, I guess, than the uh, what we what we as a culture, even as a lay people, believe that PTSD. Once we suffer from PTSD psychologically, that's it. It can affect us physically. It can affect our brain. It can affect our character. Um, what are the implications for that? Those beliefs, I guess. Well, you can talk about it a couple of different ways. One would be just how it affects individuals in a doctor's office and the kind of treatment that they're getting or should expect to get. And the other type uh, is a a bigger message about how it affects society because one of the narratives of the book is why toxic stress uh, has been so popular and has been pushed by a small subgroup of activist scientists is for social policy and public health agenda reasons They're trying to transform society a certain way, I would say, according to their ideology, and they have figured out that shouting louder with toxic stress is a way to get more attention. So we we can just back up and talk about the individual in the office, how it affects them. There are people who are being told, and they read it every day, that trauma changes them permanently and damages their brain. The theory is even wider than that that says it can change the very core of yourself and that it can even cause almost all the disparities in society of joblessness, homelessness, crime, and poverty. So if you believe that about yourself, then you believe that you're damaged goods. And the point of that is it's just not true. The alternative way to think about it is that you may have certain vulnerabilities in yourself that had that cause certain neurobiological differences in you before you ever were exposed to trauma. And maybe that's what made you vulnerable to develop PTSD. And if you understand yourself that way, it helps you accept who you are. It it helps you accept a different way to treat yourself and realize there are things I can change and things I can't change. And you can focus on the things that you can actually change. For the bigger picture of how it affects society, this is 
uh, I give a lot of examples in the book that this has kind of been sneaking up on people is how this group of activist scientists have been leveraging, I call it weaponizing neuroscience uh, to Can I interrupt you and vision. ask you what that group and who the group is? It sounds like there's a spe- specific group of scientists who have had this on their agenda. I don't know for how long, but who, who are Absolutely. they? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the, the main group is led by a pediatrician named Jack Shonkoff at Harvard University. He invented the term toxic stress in the, about the year 2000. Toxic stress is not a scientific term. It's a marketing term. He and his group have said publicly with no shame that they created that term in order to shout louder and get more attention for their causes. Another faction is Dr. Vincent Folletti. Uh, he is the one who started the Adverse Childhood Experiences Studies uh, with the first publication in 1998, and now they've published nearly 20 of these. It says, if you experience adverse childhood stress in childhood, that that causes a whole raft of adult diseases like cardiac disease, which is the number one killer in the world, or diabetes, which is the number six killer in the world. Bessel van der Kolk is another one. He wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which has been the number one book in psychiatry for about the last seven years. It's had an amazing run. It's extremely popular. And every, most people know about that in this field and say, you know, the, he, he does workshops and lectures saying trauma damages your brain and alters the very core of yourself. Those are the main characters, I guess, the ones that you are the ones who are out there, yeah, and are uh, influencing, as you say, policy and and other research, I guess. Um, and, and what about your group? Okay, you're you're at Tulane. Um, is there a whole core on the opposite side, or a whole group of people who are challenging this besides you? There is not. <laughs> what I hope to achieve, partially with the book, is to find a few others who who um, understand the science. What, what I think is, I think there are more people who understand the science the way I do, but they won't, they can't speak out. They're, they may be younger faculty who have to get papers reviewed and grants reviewed by the vast majority of people who believe these theories, and understandably, they can't stick their necks out. I'm an old dog. Um, I'm nearly 60 years old. I'm a tenured professor. I can say these things without fear of getting my papers reviewed badly or my grants reviewed badly. So, as I read on the, when I did the intro, it said that you have been a consultant for the DSM-3. Uh, now, when you're consulting for the DSM-3, what did you have to say or what was the information that you gave them regarding PTSD? When the DSM was being revised for the fifth edition in 2013, it was when it was published, but reviewed a little bit before, I was oh, consulted. Oh, DSM, I wasn't, yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, 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 I wasn't on the committee, although I was asked to be, and I, I declined, but I was consulted because they had, a group, Bessel van der Kolk in particular, um, had refashioned complex PTSD into a childhood disorder and called it developmental trauma disorder. Now, complex PTSD, which is for adults, had been pushed to be in the DSM fourth edition in 1994, and it was rejected for lack of scientific evidence. Vanderkolk refashioned it as a childhood disorder for DSM five and tried to push it to get it in, and it was rejected. And I was just one of the many reviewers who looked at the evidence about 
developmental trauma disorder and said, nah, um, there's nothing here. We don't need to add it to the DSM. Well, I imagine. I know you've written a book about youth as well, but this uh, and this is this is a brand new book. It's not only the individual themselves. I guess if they buy into the um, research of the uh, physicians that you that you mentioned, uh, the whole family and schools and anybody that they come in contact with uh, treat them not just medically, but in in many other ways as if they are, I guess, damaged or damaged for life in the ways that we just mentioned, brain damaged, um, physically damaged, and as a, their characters are damaged. Uh, so it sets off a whole slew of, of behaviors that are very different once you diagnose somebody in a certain way medically. Right. Good point. I, I had communication with one woman who runs a battered women's shelter in another state. She read one of my blogs and she said, you know, she and the, the, the women she deals with don't appreciate being viewed as damaged goods. They don't, it's because they were involved in domestic violence. They don't think of themselves as damaged goods. And a message that these humanitarian doctors were trying to push to help them actually offends them. And, and it has a lot of bigger implications. I, I was starting to talk about the bigger social agenda. Let me just point out a few things of the way it's already been used to try to influence society. Um, we have examples currently in the state of California. They have a $40 million program to do screening for adverse childhood experiences in pediatric clinics. So that's taxpayer money that's being used for this, um, for a program that's based on a theory that's not true and, and is not going to really help any children to scream for ACEs. In 2015, Baltimore uh, figured out how to use this playbook of toxic stress to deal with the riots they had um, in the, after Freddie Gray was killed in police custody. They called out the National Guard and all, and they they invoked that that the reason the way we need to fix Baltimore is with better mental health to address toxic stress, and that's why we have violence and change things. New Orleans has learned how to leverage the toxic stress to get uh, government change and and taxpayer money. They passed a city council resolution in two thousand and eighteen to create a committee to figure out how to spend all sorts of money on social programs, and they did that by profiling a small group of young African-American boys in the city on a football team saying, these boys are going to have their brains damaged by the violence they experience and they're victims of toxic stress. Therefore, we need to pass a law and create all these social programs. When there was federal testimony in, in front of Congress about the Trump era policy of separating children from their parents and holding them separately, Jack Shonkoff and others testified saying those children being held separately are having their brains damaged by toxic stress. Therefore, we need to change federal immigration policy. Now, all these things about violence and separating children are not good for children, but to leverage toxic stress, that's the playbook 
that's happening, and it's it's going to happen more and more, and that's what I'm trying to draw attention to. So you're drawing attention to the fact of really labeling the individual, whether it's an adult or a child, that they are labeled with that toxic stress label and therefore are treated in a certain way by society or and and that that's not accurate or that's inaccurate. Can you relate this to anything that we're doing, uh, in your view, to uh, COVID-19 uh, in terms of... <laughs> of how we view research and react to it and respond to it. And, you know, because we're all over the place in terms of federal mandates and how to uh, respond to COVID-19 or state mandates or, or you know, individual uh, mandates for schools. Um, is there any kind of a relation or a connection we can make? Yes. Uh, trauma <laughs> has been leveraged the same way. Uh, it, and that's kind of, I think, the what I think is the global appeal of the book is to understand how it's leveraged and how beliefs get believed as facts when they're not is applicable to politics and COVID and so many other things. So in COVID, it started out with people who were uh, in favor of lockdowns and more draconian measures and vaccines saying we, we have to lock down because, uh, Children are being damaged by seeing parents die. They're, we're having a, a generation of kids who uh, we need to protect because their brains are going to be damaged by trauma and PTSD. And also they used it to say the doctors and nurses are suffering trauma and PTSD by caring for these patients. And anybody who's involved in these lockdowns that we've had to invoke are being damaged with PTSD. I've criticized that literature uh, in a series of nine blogs on my Psychology Today blog showing that that research is, is all flawed. And we can talk about that if you want. But then the other side uses the same strategy um, now that they're saying we don't need lockdowns because locking children down is damaging the brain or making children wear masks in schools is traumatic. Therefore, we need to end the lockdowns and get back to normal. So, you know, I, without saying what my political views are, both sides uh, play the trauma game and leverage it for their playbook. Well, it's interesting. I'm thinking about an article. I think it was in the Times if, uh, or a couple weeks ago, um, which I don't know if it supports your your theory or, or what uh, you know what you've been saying. But if we take a look at children who have been Expose instead of taking a look at the children who've been, you know, all of us have been exposed to COVID and all of the different kinds of circumstances. Instead of seeing them as damaged, seeing it in a positive way, teaching them how to be resilient, they have learned some new skills. A lot of the new skills related to this. And uh, I mean, I have a six-year-old grandson who was born into it, so to speak. You know, wearing masks, uh, uh, doing work online. I mean, and his skill set for doing work online now is great. Uh, and taking more of a positive attitude towards the uh, trauma, I guess you would say, right? Um, which, uh, it's a yeah, different point of view. Yeah, your point of bringing up trauma is such, I mean, bringing up resilience is such a good one. Because if we think about you know, besides the research and all those details, there's a, there's a bigger way to think about this, is that 
human beings have been alive for thousands, millions of years, suffering trauma and adverse experiences, um, maybe more trauma than we do in modern society. And there's never been a suggestion that our brains were slowly rotting away <laughs> from all these thousands of years. Yeah. We, we, we used to be thought of as resilient. And then in the blink of an eye, around 2000, when Shankoff invented toxic stress, we're suddenly fragile. And it just doesn't make sense when you think about the big picture. Yeah. I think that's key, and I, you know, and it also brings a, a li- not reading but listening to this book on Audible uh, the, about the pandemic of 1918, which we're just sort of we're, except that not except, but we do have a vaccine that people don't want to take. That's another, it, that's another part of this topic. But the stuff that we're doing in our response is exactly the same as it was in 1918, exactly the same. The psychological response, uh, people did survive. T- went on to to uh, thrive. And uh, so here we are again, sort of repeating the same stuff, I guess. Is, um, yeah. And a good, another point to add about the COVID um, literature and discussions is I don't doubt that people are distressed. I'm not disputing that. What people are saying instead of distress is that we have a mental health crisis of people being disordered. And in my business, distress and disorder is a big distinction. Disorder, mean, disorder means you, you have a psychiatric disorder. You're functionally impaired. You need treatment. Distress is not that. It's something we live with every day. And I think there's a lot of COVID distress, but you can't leverage that and say it's disorder and we have a mental health crisis. And, and why do you think, for, and maybe this is out of your, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe out of your professional expertise, I'm not sure, but I think that the media, and newspapers and the internet and all of, uh, uh, even the cable news channels, a lot of these kind of just play into the whole thing of, of this, this trauma, this, this, uh, you know, making you feel like everything is so disordered and it's the end of the line and and just focusing on that. That's not helpful, I don't think, um, in, in terms of what you're talking about or what we've been talking about. That's not helpful in terms of helping individuals to cope and or families or communities or all of us. It's not. It's, and it's, it's not enlightening either. I no, mean, it's not. We, we want... <laughs> we want news that's enlightening, that teaches something about our life and ourselves and helps us live a better life. And that's just scaremongering to promote an ideology or to sell papers. And um, it's, you know, tra- that's one of the messages of the book. I think trauma is the new weapon in the world of ideology wars to get attention and to push your agenda. So that, what do we I mean, you said you're the only, <laughs> the only one <laughs> on your team <laughs> who's sort of aware of this or admitting to it or because of the position, you know, you're 60 years old, you're a tenured professor, so you can say and do what you want. But what about the rest of us? What about some of these young physicians or, it, it, it's, uh, you know, medical students and or just younger doctors, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists? Uh, where do we go from here? What do we do? 
Well, I'm, I am just about the only one I know of speaking out about toxic stress. But the, the other issue of complex PTSD, which we haven't had time to talk about, there are other people in my field who have spoken out strongly against that. There, there are not many, but there are some. And, um, and then one of the others she's talking about in the book of mother bashing uh, for children, childhood disorders. There are other people who have stuck up for that, um, like Judith Rich Harris and, and her books about the nurture assumption and, and others. Um, but to answer your question, um, what we do is um, we start with trying to get attention to the truth about these things. Uh, we do what little things we can in all of our lives. I mean, even if you're a young medical student or a young resident, you can push back in very little ways in your daily life. You know, find just little examples of places where you can push back a little and say, I'm not sure I think that's true. And cumulatively, that can have an effect. Um, we do need to get better organized. Um, I do need to find allies. We need to get organized and have a way to push back, you know, um, in a more sophisticated way and have, um, you know, papers and discussions and publicity and have our, you know, we got to get in the social media game and um, ramp up. How do your individual students respond to you on an individual basis? when they can talk to you on a one-to-one? Well, I, I lecture to psychiatry residents as part of my job on PTSD every year, and I, I go through basically what I've just told you and show them the evidence. And they are polite, and they nod, and they have some questions and push back sometimes. But I don't know what happens after that. I, I don't. Honestly, I don't think I change many minds. I think people who go into this field have a certain self-selected mindset about how they, what they believe the world is and, and, and how they think it works and the impact they think mothers have or don't have. And um, just hearing one lecture doesn't really change people's minds. Uh, well, hearing one lecture maybe not doesn't change people's uh, lives or minds, but you as the professor, can you hone in on certain um, residents and say, maybe this is somebody that I should continue the conversation with? Yes. Um, most of the residents, however, you know, they, they graduate, they move on, they, they go to, you know, other states, other cities and practice, and, and they're trying to, you know, earn a living as a clinician. They're not they're not into the, the advocacy game like I am. So um, it's been a challenge. And that usually happens, I mean, I'm generalizing later on in their careers when they've had 20 years of practicing and earning money and uh, doing what, you know, doing, uh, engage in their profession. And then isn't it kind of later sometimes they become, they have the opportunity to be more uh, able to advocate for, uh, like issues that we've been talking about that you've been talking right. about. Yeah. It could be exactly like, like my trajectory. When, when I was younger, I believed this stuff. Um, you know, one of my papers is one of the most cited papers there is for blaming mothers for PTSD. And I regret ever publishing that paper <laughs> when I was younger and I didn't know any better. Um, and I think another part of this, you know, wondering why 
there isn't more attention to it is because it is psychology and psychiatry. I mean, it's not cancer. Uh, people aren't dying from this. So it's harder to get um, active, you know, and, and alter your life to advocate for these things um, when people aren't, you know, dying. They're not dying in the immediate time, but they may be, it may be a slow death. It can be. Or, or, you know what I mean? In terms of how, well, I think getting back to the way people are treated and, and all of the uh, actually laws that are enacted and, and things that aren't being done, it, it can be defined as a slow death, but there's not an immediacy to it, as you're saying. Great talking to you. In fascinating subject, uh, The Trouble with Trauma. When does the book comes out, what, February 1st? February 15th, it's really. 15th? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Give us a website and or websites to go to for more information. And you mentioned earlier about a blog or blogs that you do. I have a website, michael.scaringa.com. Um, I think I said that right. Um, but if you Google it, something like that, you'll find it. Uh, Scaringa okay. is spelled S-C-H-E-E-R-I-N-G-A. I also have a blog on Psychology Today's website, which you just Google Psychology Today and my name, you'll find it. And I've also started a YouTube channel to, to put some of these points in videos. Again, if you just Google my name and YouTube, you'll find it. So Great. thank you very much for letting me point those out. And thank you very much for being on the show. Very enlightening. Um, I'll be reading your blogs. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 